Cordan. Cordan the episode. Okay, so. Hello, and welcome to episode two of Clubbing with Mom, a mother-daughter book club podcast. Hi, I'm the mom, Laura. Um, I started out my career in education as a English and history teacher, and then I became an administrator, and now I'm currently an elementary school teacher. And I'm the daughter, Megan. I'm a developmental editor and aspiring writing coach. And today we're going to be talking to you about Ghosts at a Watchman by Harper this is a book club style podcast, so there will be spoilers. So if you haven't read the book, pause it right now, go read it, and then come back and join us for our chat. So we figured we'd get things started with a bit of, well, by reading the synopsis of the book to sort of mm-hmm. intro things. So, Maycomb, Alabama, 26-year-old Jean Louise Finch, scout, uh, returns home from New York City to visit her aging father, Atticus. Set against the backdrop of the civil rights tensions and political turmoil that were transforming the South, Jean Louise's homecoming turns bittersweet when she learns disturbing truths about her close-knit family, the town, and the people dearest to her. Memories from her childhood flood back and her values and assumptions are thrown into doubt. Featuring many of the iconic characters from To Kill a Mockingbird, Ghost at a Watchman perfectly captures a young woman and a world in painful yet necessary transition out of the illusions of the past a journey that can only be guided by one's own conscience. So what was your reaction? I know To Kill a Mockingbird is your favorite book, Mom. So. Yeah, it is. It's absolutely my favorite book for a number of different reasons. And I think one of the first things that I thought about when I read this, I, I know that um, chronologically, from what I've heard, Harper Lee actually wanted to write this book first. Mm-hmm. Yes, this is technically not a full novel so much as it's a rough draft of what became To Kill a Mockingbird. And perhaps it was sort of supposed to be like the, the beginning of it would be the intro, and then Mockingbird would happen, and then the last part of it would be the afterward mm-hmm. part of a much larger novel. But I, I honestly feel that this was one where the editor was completely correct Mm-hmm. in that Mockingbird had to happen first yeah. for us to have that same journey with Scout that she had in Watchmen. And I honestly feel that even the time difference, the years in between, were needed. Mm. Um, you mean between when Mockingbird was published mm-hmm. and when Watchmen was published? Exactly. Yeah. Um, for Mockingbird to have been published and then made into the iconic movie that it was, uh-huh. Like I said, being an English teacher and also a history teacher, being able to set for so many kids for so many years, teaching it, mm-hmm. setting it in the backdrop of the, the period of time and and the, the symbolism and then Atticus being set up to be this... Civil this, rights. Yeah, the stand-up for the black man guy. Like a, like a god. <laughs> oh, yeah. You know, um, just the antithesis of what a, a male, white male in the South was at the time. So mm-hmm. wasn't he just this, wah, you yeah. know, <laughs> guy with a white horse and the sword and yeah. everything. And, and we've then, all lived with that image for so oh, long. Oh, yeah. And so we were along the ride that, that Scout was along. Yeah. And, and that was, again, was um, really re-emphasized through the Hollywood version of it in the movie. Mm-hmm. So when she discovered who her father truly was, it was as much of a shock to us yeah. as readers. And it was reflected in all of the reviews that came out when this book was mm-hmm. published as well. Like a, Pretty much the entire world had the exact same reaction to no! the change. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. We all had like panic attacks like Scout does uh-huh. about oh, like, well, oh. how could this be? Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
I, I agree. I think that it absolutely was published in the correct order. Personally, I would have preferred that it had been published posthumously mm. just because there was a lot of scandal also surrounding the way it was discovered and the reasons it was published. You know, her lawyer is, um, I think, a shady character because she's also manipulating her estate now that Harper Lee has passed. I don't know if you heard that um, her lawyer has actually decided that the estate no longer wishes for the mass market paperback of To Kill a Mockingbird to be available, which oh. is the inexpensive version that schools rely on being able to buy in bulk. Oh my so God. it's going to seriously impact it, it, the teachability that of is Mockingbird. Wrong. Yeah, That is really wrong. So, I mean... People were fairly positive that Harper Lee never actually wanted this to be published because it's not, it's not quite up to snuff writing wise. Like Mockingbird, the yeah. writing is so strong. Yes, um, it is not nearly as strong in this. So it's very important, I think, to when you do read it, keep in mind that it is a draft and that it maybe wasn't necessarily meant to be published. But having said that, I am glad that I have read it because. Similar to the book that we talked about in our first episode, Where'd You Go, Bernadette? I think I mentioned while we were talking about that, uh, that moment of realizing that your parents are people is a fascinating one for me because that is something that I have gone through, I am going through. <laughs> um, and so it's very relatable. And so to me, that's the thrust of this book. Like it says in the jacket copy is, you know, that moment when you realize your parents are maybe not the idealized versions of them that you have created in your head and that, oh, holy crap, they are people. And like we said last time, they don't sprout from the ground as fully grown, <laughs> perfect beings. So yeah, so my general reaction to this book is that I am happy that I have read it and that I was able to keep in mind the context of its publication and not like judge Harper Lee by it too harshly. I would agree that too. The The writing wasn't nearly as iconic, um, didn't resonate. In looking at, at Mockingbird, my absolute favorite part of, of the book as a whole, and it makes me cry just to even look at the page that it's on, is at the very, very end where she's describing how Boo had been watching his children, Scout and Jem, and just the way that it, it's written is just absolutely beautiful. You know, just recounting, summarizing the whole book in three or four paragraphs of of everything that she had spent chapters previously delving into, and yet to summarize it the way that she did did not cheapen it in any way. In fact, you were able to, um, you know, see it and experience it. You know, a, a winter and a man walked into the street, dropped his glasses and shot a dog. It's one sentence that she took a, a whole chapter to talk about the experience with the dog coming down the street and how Atticus and, and had shot it and they came to this realization that their father was a, a crack shot that they never they began to realize he had been young once before. Yeah. And, but yet to say it so simply, but yet understand that that didn't cheapen the experience of what the whole chapter was about mm -hmm. um, is just amazing to me. You know, Atticus was right. One time he said, you never really know a man until you stand in his shoes and walk around in them. Just standing on the Radley porch was enough. She had a way of just beautifully telling a story that just made 
the words stand in your head forever. There were parts of that. Yeah, there in were this. flashes of it that you could see. I think mostly in the flashbacks, you know, the scenes of her childhood that do take place in Ghost at a Watchmen, um, which are, according to the legend, what inspired her editor to encourage her to write To Kill a Mockingbird in the first place, was that's what he was most interested in, because that's what she seemed most easiest, or what seemed easiest for her to capture was describing her child, because it's loosely based on her own Mm -hmm. experiences growing up in the South. Um, So Scout's childhood was what was most vivid throughout this initial manuscript, and so that's what supposedly inspired her editor to encourage her to write what became To Kill a Mockingbird. And I think those sections that remain within Watchmen are where you can see sort of where she ended up progressing to To Kill a Mockingbird. I think some of it is also in the conversation she has with her uncle. He confused the crap out of me. Where Maybe he, I need to reread it. Yeah, where he, <laughs> he was trying to take her through her own mind. She wanted him to be literal. So did I. <laughs> And I, and I think that, again, is another of the, the situations where reading it, it at the place in your life that you're at, you can relate to Scout. Yeah. I can relate to Scout, but I can relate to his uncle, to her uncle. That there's parts of life that we want to take the people we love that we're mentoring or that we're parenting through, but we can't give them literally the answer. It has to be, let me take you through the journey. Let me help you reflect. Mm. Let me help you come to your conclusion. And, and But yet all along with that also has to be, and this is where what I struggle with sometimes, is allowing the freedom that your conclusion may not be what mine is. I very, very thoroughly identified with Scout in this book. And it's interesting because she's 26 and I'm also 26. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I and I experienced the frustration that she felt when talking to her uncle. I was like, why can't you just say, like, I don't understand what you're trying to say and so I actually found myself kind of skimming over those sections because I was like well I'm just not going to understand what he's saying anyway maybe it'll make more sense later which is probably I mean that's not the right way to read anything so I I want to because it's also been a number of years since I've read To Kill a Mockingbird and so I want to read both of them mm-hmm. in succession mm-hmm. to you know really get a full picture of this story But I think that it was, like I said, I'm not sorry that it was published and I'm not sorry that I've read it. Like I'm, I think it was really important. It was an important next step in the story Mm -hmm. because we couldn't all remain in that, you know, hero worship space of To Kill a Mockingbird. Like that's just part of life is that sometimes your heroes disappoint you Uh, or sometimes you've invented versions Mm -hmm. of people Mm -hmm. And they aren't, that's not reality. And so coming to reality is a really important part of growing up. Well, it is too. And also, I think that maybe that's where we might have sold, um, even as we're talking about it here, we might have sold you and I the Ghost Set of Watchmen short Mm. in saying that it might not have been as strong of a writing Hmm. as Mockingbird. Because even now, sitting back on it, I'm thinking, yeah, I think I want to go back and reread it. Just like Mockingbird, when the first time you read through it, maybe what sticks in your head is Tom Robinson and the whole Southern post-slavery world that was happening. Mm -hmm. But the more I read the book, because I had to teach it year after year, the more I realized there was so much more. There's so many layers Mm -hmm. to that novel. It's it's amazing. Um, 
the last time I taught it was probably more than 15 years ago. But even now, um, when I have conversations with students, because I was a high school administrator also for about 15 years, um, and talking with students about the book to help them realize that that she also addressed not only the the racism, but she she addressed ageism, she addressed sexism, she addressed economic struggles. Yeah, the and the, she... the the clash of of even even within poverty that there are layers of poverty and that also comes back up in this one in the Mm -hmm. character of henry Mm -hmm. uh, who is scout's supposed betrothed everyone assumes that they're Mm -hmm. going to get married because they date whenever she comes home Mm -hmm. from new york which is where Mm -hmm. she's living now um but what keeps them from being together is that he is from the wrong side of the tracks essentially you know he is He's been raised up by Atticus because Atticus has taken him in and brought him into his law practice. And But he, at his core, and everyone in this tiny town knows it, is on the poor side. He's not, he's trash, is I think her aunt calls him at one point, just straight out says, mm-hmm. you know, you can't take the trash out of him. He's not for you. Which, initially, because she's scout, she reacts to, well, I'm going to marry him anyway, uh-huh. <laughs> just to show you. Uh-huh. Uh, but eventually they do have a conversation about, you know, you can poodle around this town and do whatever you want and everyone will just say, oh, well, she's a finch because mm-hmm. that gives you a level of privilege and a level of freedom that a I will never have mm-hmm. in this town mm-hmm. or anywhere. Mm-hmm. And so that's a difference in, in a difference even between them that mm-hmm. gets addressed in this book. So I think you're right. I think there probably are more layers than what appear on the surface. And I, I think that maybe that that will ultimately allow this book to have a, a longer life. I could see still generations having to read Mockingbird first because it is much more forthright in its topic mm-hmm. as far as it, it addressing, like I said, the, the larger societal issue of racism. But then I could see this one, the Watchmen, being maybe the more college version. Yeah, when you're ready to deal with you know, because when you're mm-hmm. younger, it's important to get down first. Racism is wrong. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, that's but wrong. E- but even, and then later uh-huh. you can deal with, you know, but people are complicated. And understand that racism is complicated. Even, even within <laughs> this book, it's complicated. It, it's understanding part of what Hank, Henry, Henry and, Hank. and Scout got into a fight about was... She didn't understand how he could be a part of this council that spewed this horrible racist ideology. And what he was telling her was that she had the ability to stand up to them that he didn't have mm-hmm. by virtue of his economic standing in the in the community. Yeah, but I don't think that's a complication of racism. I think that that's the economic thing. That, but it, like, but it has... his his position was lower than hers, so yes. he went along. He had to go yes. along with more of what happened, yes. whether or not he. But that, but that allowed racism to stay true, because he true, didn't have true. the social standing to be able to stand up and say, it's wrong, I'm not doing it. Which is where the oh, Watchman, yeah. the title comes mm-hmm. in. It's from a scripture that mm-hmm. is brought up in a sermon that is given at the beginning of the book. You know, it's it has to do with, essentially the way the title comes back is that her uncle tells Scout that the South needs people like her to come back and be on the lookout and to call them on their on their stuff. And, right. Uh, sort of an outside to be, to an be outside the view. Yeah. Scout Somebody, Scout is the watchman who mm-hmm. needs to come back mm-hmm. and speak their truth. Yeah. 
you know, keep them keep them on the right course. Mm -hmm. But unfortunately, what we see so often in society, and this was also something that um, the uh, the quote from the Holocaust. All it takes for for horrible things to happen is for good men to say nothing. Mm. There, the, there are two types of evil in the evil people in the world: the people who do evil and the good people who do nothing to stop it, yeah. or something like that. Yeah. yeah. All, and, and then the thing about you know how could Hitler be as powerful as he was? All it takes for things like that to happen is for good people to do nothing. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of of our society today is not active racism; it's passive. Oh yeah. Yeah, it's people just not, not telling the racist anything. people to shut up. <laughs> exactly. Or, Being or too afraid saying, of it. I'm not going to go along because this isn't right. Mm -hmm. Because what we're seeing in our country now is economic racism. It's definitely tied. Economics and race are exactly. hand in hand. Exactly. The poverty situation, the incarceration numbers, mm -hmm. um, all of that is the way that we're expressing our racism now. Yeah. But yet we we tend to say that oh no because we have, you know interracial marriages are happening and you know they get to the, vote the, and own property and the music scene and you know <laughs> sports and all that kind of stuff and aren't we really great and our president and, and, and yeah you know the, the, we're we're so beyond that. No. No, it's just changed. It's it, it's hidden. It's it, covert. It's exactly. Subconscious. And that's where I'm saying that this book is much more today's racism, more so than Mockingbird. And that's why I'm saying the years in between are actually probably pretty darn near perfect. Hmm. Because the, the time that she was talking about, and when this book came out was in the 60s, mm -hmm. where the civil rights movement was happening. So the racism that she was talking about and was seen in Mockingbird was very fresh. Yeah. People and, were running around yelling oh, the N-word. Oh, yeah, and they were lynching people and crosses burning everywhere and mm -hmm. all of, you know, you, the Scarborough boys. Yeah. Um, the, the boys, the 14-year-old boys that got hung because they whistled at a white woman. The Mississippi burning was what I always showed in conjunction with Mockingbird mm -hmm. to my students about the, the civil rights workers that went down to the South to register people to vote and were killed. Yeah. And eventually out of that came the civil rights amendment to the Constitution. So that fits and that, that handles and deals with that overt yeah. thing that we were happening. In the years since, it's become, like we talked about, so much more covert. Yeah. And that's where this is coming to. And even that for... Racism doesn't always look mm -mm. like Donald Trump. Yes. shouting about how Mexican people are all racist oh or God. all rapists rather. Yeah. Um, it doesn't always look like that. Sometimes people you think mm -hmm. are perfectly nice actually harbor some attitudes that are well and that we problematic. All, yeah, we all have to continue to reflect. We all have yes. to continue to be our own watchmen. Yes. And be a watchman for each other. Mm -hmm. Because there's a reason why Donald Trump is the front runner right now. <laughs> There's a lot of anger, a backlash in um, my husband, Chris. Um, we've only been married two years now. Um, we were talking about this just the other day, is the complete turnover for white men in our society over the last generation. That there's, there is this backlash, this anger that's there. Yeah, because checking your privilege doesn't feel good. No, it doesn't. But I don't think it gives you the right to... But here's the, the thing, though, they, they didn't think they were privileged. It wasn't 
really apparent that they were privileged until the privilege went away. I don't think it's even gone away, though. Like, they're still very much privileged. It's just being challenged. Yes, exactly. Exactly. Until, you know, like when your brother um, was frustrated that he couldn't get a job in Oxnard because he wasn't bilingual. And he realized that being a white male was just not going to be enough for yeah. everything anymore. Yeah. And that that's something that our society is railing against. And, and in Donald Trump land, that's make America great again. Well, the underlying thing about that is make America white again. Yep. Make American white European white. Northern European white. And male. Again. <laughs> you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. That it's all about... Make the white man great again. Yeah, let's go back to a time where everybody think, thought it was great, but it wasn't even great then. Mm-hmm. The good old days. There's, there's never a good old no. days. What, what good old good days for are who? you? Yeah. Good for who? In, in every day that's good for somebody is bad for somebody else. But when you're the one it was good for, it was the good old days. Yep. But that again, the timeliness of a book like this to explore those ideologies is perfect mm -hmm. for us to be able to sit down and say, why, why is it that you know the things that are being said by candidates for office or by the people I work with or in the media, why is it that I either gravitate to them or they repulse me? What is, what is it about them and what, it, what does that say about me? Yeah. Where I'm at in my journey as a person. And I think that that's, that's incredibly important to take a look at. Yeah, anything that can make you turn inward and question your reactions, that is my number one, I don't know what to call it, I guess, but when I'm having conversations with people about these things and mostly the thing that I am quickest to check people on is sexism because I am a woman. Um, I am a white woman. So I have that race privilege there that I can, f I'm working on my white feminism. <laughs> I'm trying to be more inclusive and learn more about how race and sexism intersect. But the thing that I am quickest to challenge people on is sexism specifically. And whenever I'm having a conversation with a member of the opposite sex and they react strongly to what I'm saying mostly in the form of well I'm not that way you know the the not all men kind mm -hmm. of thing the deflect um I I you know I'm just like how about you think on that for a second why did you feel the need to clarify that mm -hmm. what happened in you in that moment that made you feel like you needed to defend yourself mm -hmm. against what I was saying when I wasn't talking about you mm-hmm I was talking about society and yeah. the larger issues. Mm -hmm. um, and that's something that I try to do for myself even because sometimes I get checked on things. My mm -hmm. two best friends are both women of color and God bless them, they are so patient with me. Mm -hmm. So when I get checked on things or you know, the hairs on the back of my neck raise about certain things, I try to very consciously ask myself, why am I being defensive mm -hmm. about this? Like, what is this? triggering in me because like you said it's subconscious and it's in everyone and we all have to be our own watchmen and so there are just you know messages that I've received growing up in this country that have programmed me with certain perspectives that I have to fight against mm -hmm. I have to actively act against and I have to check myself and the privileges that I have and make sure that I am considering everyone Mm -hmm. in their full humanity mm -hmm. and giving everyone the benefits, extending to everyone that I can the benefits uh -huh. that I have received mm -hmm. for the position that I am in. 
And I think that shows also in this book with Scout that she has some more growing to do mm. on that front. Still, the way that she approaches and interacts with her aunt, her aunt and the other women and in the, the other town. yeah the, yeah mm-hmm. that she she somehow feels better than them. Mm-hmm. Superior. Yeah. That scene. I loved the way it was written. Can we talk about how that was written for a second, just to get back to you know books? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> There's a scene where her aunt holds a coffee for her and that's what it's called is I'm having a coffee for you which is basically where all the women of the town come over and sit in your living room and you have coffee and you talk about your husbands and your babies and you know it's a good old time Mm -hmm. Um, but the scene the way it's written is there's a a string of dialogue that it's Scout overhearing everyone as she walks down the line of women passing out the coffee and then as she walks back up the line of women, passing out the like cookies or the napkins or whatever it is, and each line is a different person, but it runs together like it's the same conversation. And that was so masterfully put together. When I read that, I went back and read it again because I was so impressed with the construction of that scene. Just because... It went together like it was one person saying it, but it was also very clear that she was catching like snippets of different conversations. Mm-hmm. But I mean, it was it's just so just like uh-huh. <laughs> so good. Um, and so that's where you start where, where you like like I said, you see flashes of like the mm-hmm. amazing writer, you know. And I mean, Harper Lee, I think was just a naturally talented writer. She's one of those people who, sort of my personal philosophy about writing is you can improve upon what's already there, but most people who feel compelled to write have within them their own voice. You know, the voice of the writer is something that has to be found or that you're born with, but it's not something that can be taught to you or given to you. I think that you can bring it out. I think as an editor, I try to bring out the writer's voice and help them to strengthen it but if it's not there I can't give it to them Um, so I think Harper Lee is one of those writers who definitely from the get-go had her own voice and her own point of view she definitely did the way that she did you you were talking about it talks you know the magpies arrived at 1030 on schedule so she calls them that from the very beginning Mm -hmm. Um, the light brigade set to the left of her in their early and middle 30s they devoted most of their free time to I can't even read the uh, Amenesis Club bridge <laughs> getting up, getting one up on each other in the matter of electrical appliances. John says dot dot dot. Calvin says it's the dot 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 kidneys. But Alan took me off fried things dot dot dot. When I got in caught in that zipper, I'd like to never have. And then it just goes on from there. And like you said, it's snippets of conversations, but she's brought it together like it's almost one person talking, and it's hysterical. It's almost like playing Mad Libs. Yeah, it jumps off everywhere it goes from kidneys to zippers to other things but then even throughout the whole book though she still has this feeling that somehow her and I, I think I can relate to this even sitting here now I'm having kind of an epiphanal moment um, <laughs> in her mind I think her aunt has personified the things that were wrong about the south mm. in her mind and her father the things that were right and yet they're brother and sister and I can see in in my relationship with my own parents and that there were things that I attributed to my mother and not to my father that later on I began to realize that my mother was the way she was because of my father and the things that I didn't see in him. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's kind of maybe towards the end of the book when Scout realizes that her father isn't everything 
she thought he was and that he actually shares some of the thoughts that and the and the racism racism the the attitudes mm-hmm. that her aunt has that even further mm, shocks her the old fashioned attitudes yes yeah. it's like you're not supposed to be like alexandra you're not supposed to be like her you're atticus you're different you raised me. That's how come I'm different. If you're not different than her, then am I different than her? Is almost a panic mm-hmm. that she has. Oh, the whole book is a panic. Like there oh, are yeah. parts of it that are downright hallucinatory. <laughs> uh-huh. Because it's uh, she she absolutely is having a an identity crisis mm-hmm. and a, like a panic attack from that identity crisis. Yeah, she runs home from New York to try to find some solace, to f- try to find some steady footing, some bedrock. And she realizes that it's not there. No. That there were reasons why she ran to the to New York to start with. And those reasons are still there. Mm-hmm. She wants to come home and, and lose herself in being Henry's wife, but she realizes that that's not where she's supposed to be. No. She wants to lose herself back in being Scout, and she realizes that's not where she can be. Mm-hmm. She doesn't fit there anymore. She definitely doesn't fit as being one of the ladies of Maycomb. That's just not where she's going to be. And so she's back to, then where am I? And that's what her uncle, that's what I appreciate about him, is that he leads her to realize she can't give that away to someone else. Mm -hmm. Finding out who she is is always going to be her responsibility. Yeah. One of the things that I thought was a little sloppily handled and maybe showed the immaturity of the writer at the time that this was written was the fact that towards the very end when she's having her panic and she's getting ready to run back to New York and her uncle slaps her across the face Mm -hmm. and suddenly she's calm and everything's okay and she can be reasoned with. That seemed a little bit like maybe Harper Lee having worked herself into a frenzy and not really knowing how to bring Scout back out of that, back Mm -hmm. to reality, how to unwind the spring that she had set. Mm -hmm. Um, So that felt, that was one of the moments where I felt the draftness of this, because that one, that scene, first of all, just as a feminist, I was like, he did not just hit her across the face. But then also as a reader, I was like, that seemed a little too easy, a little too, oh, well, that's taken care of now. You know? Yeah, I could see that. But then sometimes maybe she should have been a little more metaphoric about it. Maybe. But there did have to be something because she couldn't have continued on that spiral. No, yeah, something had to bring her back for Mm -hmm. sure. Definitely. But I think think Harper Lee took the easy way out with that one. It didn't seem to really fit with who her uncle was. Yeah, it came out of nowhere. He did not seem like he would be the type. And, like... She try, I think she tried to explain it with the whole he needed a drink after he hit her. Like mm-hmm. It really upset him, too, to have done that. But mm-hmm. it really just seemed to have come out of nowhere. Yeah, so. I, I can't... What was she saying before he did that, though? I don't even know. She was putting her uh, suitcase in the trunk and getting ready to take herself back to the train station, though. Mm-hmm. Um, I, don't, I don't remember what words were being said, but he was trying to get her to like stop and talk to him. And then he just slapped her across the face. And for some reason that calmed her down. When I'm like, um, if I'm Scout and someone just hit me, I would snap back into tomboy mode and probably hit them back. Yeah. (laughs) Some of the things that she says to her father, she definitely has the Southern woman thing in her. There are certain ways to argue that some people are very skilled at. (laughs) And unfortunately, we are. But it also says a lot about how Atticus has raised her, that she can get over, get that anger out at him. But yet he he also does call her on it too. 
and they're arguing, she's getting ready to leave, and he says to her, I've killed you, Scout, I had to. And she says, don't you give me any more of your double talk. You're a nice, sweet old gentleman, and I'll never believe a word you say to me again. I despise you and everything you stand for. And he says, well, I love you. And she says, don't you dare say that to me. Love me, huh? Atticus, I'm getting out of this place fast. Don't know where I'm going, but I'm going. I never want to see another finch or hear of one as long as I live. As you please, he says. You double-dealing, ring-tailed son of a bitch. You sit there and say, as you please, when you've knocked me down and stomped on me and spat on me, and you sit there and say, as you please, when everything I've ever loved in this world, you, you just sit there and say, as you please, you love me, you son of a bitch. That'll do, Jean Louise. That'll do. His general call to order in the days when she believed. So he kills me and gives it a twist. How can he taunt me so? How can he treat me so? God in heaven, take me away from here. God in heaven, take me away. So again, she is able to, Harper Lee is able to put into, I mean, I could just see this conversation happening. Mm -hmm. And I could just see him being so Atticus of, of being so calm and her just being so emotional and where usually she relied on his calmness to calm her. Now it's just pissing her off. <laughs> mm -hmm. You know, now it's just, you, you have no right to say these things. You, and he's, he's even saying to her, yeah, I, I, I acknowledge that you finding this out is part of what had to happen. Mm -hmm. And she's railing against that. You know, I, I didn't need to know this about you. Yeah. You know, I didn't want to know this about you. Why did you feel like I, you had to tell me this about <laughs> how you? How dare you be you? How dare you do this to me by being you? <laughs> yeah, how dare you show me who you really are? I didn't want, I was happy with the fallacy and mm -hmm. it was working for me. Yeah. And why did you have to be, you know, why did you have to be real? That makes no sense to me. Mm -hmm. But, you know, Atticus did it not only for her to see who he was, but for her to be able to see who Henry was. And the entire town, even, because mm -hmm. the whole town changes when she comes to this realization. I think we might have sort of skipped over that the inciting incident, the whole impetus for her realizations that she's having is she discovers Atticus and Henry at a meeting of... The council. the council, the town council mm -hmm. for deciding what to do about the... Negro problem. Yeah, mm -hmm. as they put it. Um, and so she realized she's coming to terms with the fact that her father is a member of this council with these people who seem to stand for the opposite of what she remembers him to have stood for and what she herself has stood for for her whole life as a result of what she thought he stood for. And so that's the whole... It, that's where everything unravels. Mm -hmm. Well, and what she realizes is that his racism is not the kind that goes out and lynches people and burns crosses on their, their lawn. His racism is almost more diabolical in a way. It's paternalistic. Yes. It's, we haven't taught them how to be self-sufficient. It's the type of dialogue that allows the people in power to make as much change as they're comfortable with and then stop and then tell the oppressed group, oh, but we gave you this much, why aren't you happy with that? But it's almost what allowed slavery to happen to the, with, with the, you could almost hear the, the slave owner, the benevolent slave owner who says, well, I, I keep them as slaves because they're so much heart, happier that way. Bless their heart, they wouldn't know how to be on their own. Yes, there was a certain naivete there because they had not worked for wages to be able to learn how to survive on having to pay for things. You do have to teach people how to do these things. They don't. It doesn't come natural. But it's not to say that they were not able to. Mm -hmm. 
but there's a form of racism that takes that to the to the nth degree you know what i'm saying but says that they're not able to yeah the truth is we didn't give them the experiences true and we didn't give them the training true but that doesn't mean that if they were given the training that they wouldn't be able to do it yeah because they're still human beings exactly and like yeah you have to be taught how to do certain things Mm -hmm. like live off of your means or hold down a job or whatever but like who taught the people before that you know like the Mm -hmm. like who taught the founding fathers how to start a country no one they just Mm -hmm. figured it out so you just do it you just make the change you make them a part of society and everyone will figure it out because that's how humans function that's life but they're figuring it out but the thing is that my my point is that instead of saying that's a reason why we can't give them equality it should have been had the watchman been truly there it should have been to say okay then what do we need to give them to get them there so along with this 40 acres and a mule that they were supposed to get in restoring things that didn't really quite happen because white men came in and and took advantage yeah and cheated them out of what what little they had Mm -hmm. rather than okay so now we've, we've given you your freedom we've given you this 40 acres and a mule now we're going to help you understand how to work it well because they didn't want to help exactly they wanted exactly. everything to fail and go back to because then they could say look see they can't survive yeah we tried it and so they we need to you. be and so therefore yes yeah and i think that that's what we've been doing societally ever since is trying to prove that people of color cannot be as successful at this as we are mm-hmm. economically or or socially, or any other way, they can't do it. And Olin and I were talking about, my fiancé Olin and I were talking about the other night, how President Obama has gotten much harsher criticism. Yes. And should Hillary win the presidency, knock on wood, Mm -hmm. (laughs) she also will and Mm -hmm. has received much Mm -hmm. harsher criticism because anyone who is not, you know, the type of person who has been in charge, who has held the power... There is a certain element of our our society that we're looking for proof that it's not going to work. Yeah. Yeah. We're looking for proof that, Uh you know, an African-American man cannot be president because, look, we tried it and it didn't go great. Exactly. A woman can't be president because, look, we tried it and it didn't go great. Exactly. You know, let's forget the fact that we're the ones who have been obstinately making it not go great. Mm -hmm. What history says is it just didn't go great. Yeah. Exactly. So. And now we have the proof. Yeah. So, yeah. So yeah, I agree. It is definitely that covert form of racism mm-hmm. that we are fighting today. That is mostly what is at play in this book mm-hmm. as well. Is you know members of a society who are trying to pretend like they want progress, but it's really just as much progress as they are comfortable with. Well, even in that though, too, thinking about it now, you almost have to in a strange sort of way at least kind of sort of appreciate the south because sometimes they didn't even try to hide it (laughs) you know what i mean in in the northern areas and in in the western areas we sometimes you know we make a show of of trying not to be racist but we really kind of are still in we let it harbor its areas but in the south in the south they just they don't make any bones about it so it's almost easier to point it out and fight it it's harder in areas where like you said people say oh but that's not me the south says yeah it's us and we're able to say well then that's wrong but that's also why people are so excited about donald trump is because he's saying it like it is you know he's just saying what we're all thinking and Mm -hmm. it's like Okay, but can you see that you're not supposed to be thinking those things? But, that, but on the other hand, on the other other hand, <laughs> is when he doesn't get elected president, please God, 
or even with him running, it allows us to have the conversation that we've needed to have, but we're too nasty nice, as my mother says, to have. Hillary can now say, this is the reason that we don't have a really coherent, cohesive immigration policy because we're not willing to talk about the fact that we don't want these people here. And that's why building a wall is wrong. It's because we don't want to not want these people here. And we need to talk about what's wrong and what is happening in our society that we don't want these people here. Yeah, what what fear what fear is this bringing out in us? Is it the fear that they're taking our jobs? Is it the fear that they're changing the balance of our ethnicity? Is it the fear of losing our power? What's our fear? Let's get to the fear that's underlying these things in our lives. And that's what we need to discuss. That's the hard conversation. Yeah. It's and, easy to, you know, build the wall. Yes. It's easy to run and be scared. Yes. And, and yell get into and that. be angry. Mm-hmm. It's harder to check it. It's harder to force yourself to face it. Why am I feeling this way? Mm-hmm. And what what do I re- what do I really need to deal and talk about? And I think that that again goes back to the conversation where Atticus said, "I had to do this. I had to kill you. I had to kill my your idea of who I am because I had to force you to really. What are you running away from? Why did you come back here? Why did you think here was safe?" I had to get you to see that here's Reckon not safe this. either. Reckon with this. Come yes. to your own conclusions. Yes. What do you really believe? Yes. And fight for it. Yes. Fight me for it. Yeah. Fight yourself for it. Fight everything for it. And don't don't give in. Don't placate. Don't go along, you know, and, and don't don't come at it with an ideology. See people for who they are and not who you want them to be. And I think that's the, the adult conversation that Watchmen sets up that Mockingbird couldn't do. You you had to know the history. You had to know where the South had been. Well, and also Mockingbird couldn't have the adult conversation because it's told from the child's point of view, mm-hmm. which is why a lot of people consider it a young adult book these mm-hmm. days, even though when it was published, young adult was not a thing. Mm-hmm. But it's told from the child's point of view, so it's meant to have that uh-huh. very clearly defined morality. Mm-hmm. Whereas in this one, it's told from 26-year-old Jean Louise's mm-hmm. perspective, and she's older, and we're older, and, and that's when things can get more complicated, and they do get more complicated. But even then, I would postulate the only thing that is very clear in Mockingbird is, is the, the Tom Robinson storyline. The others are there that are complicated and lead you to, to almost foreshadow Watchmen. The layered economic system. How even though Atticus is poor, because everybody was poor, because it was the Depression, his poor was not as poor as the Cunninghams. His poor was definitely not as poor as the Ewells. There was still layers. The the idea that the kids coming to, to terms with the fact that their father actually had been young once. The not not wanting to be one of the women of Makem ever in her life was already present with how she reacted with her aunt during the story. Those kinds of things were were already there. They were just less dealt with and they didn't they didn't come to a conclusion if you will. <laughs> they, they come just... they come home to roost in Watchmen. Exactly. That's where <laughs> just she to picks get up real with southern them. about it. <laughs> yes. Yes. And then and then she takes the central theme that we thought was resolved in Mockingbird and blows that up and shows how that, again, is another complicated, not clear substance, another structure there that, that needs to be picked apart a little bit more. Mm-hmm. And 
and becomes even more involved in the socioeconomics and more involved in the relationships of the town, even more so than, than in Mockingbird. But she does a really, a really good job with it. And I think in light of the conversation we just had, in light of today's politics, like I said, I think the timing of this book is perfect. Yeah. So her lawyer maybe is sleaze, <laughs> and, uh, and I, I don't agree with the methods of it, but I do appreciate the timing of it. Yeah. And like I said at the very beginning, and I still definitely feel this way, like I'm glad to have read it. And I think if anyone had a strong reaction to To Kill a Mockingbird, reading Ghosts at a Watchman is important. Mm-hmm. Just to complete the picture. And like, and like I said, especially now after our conversation, like I definitely want to go back at some point and read them mm-hmm. both back to back and, you know, see what I see. I think that one of the things that I find interesting is it would have been interesting. I, I, you know, Jem, her brother has, has, um, again, spoiler alert, has died <laughs> um, even before this book was written. It turns out it would have been interesting had he lived. Mm-hmm. If he would have been like Henry, if he would have been like Atticus, or if he would have been like Scout, his perspective of being a white male at the time versus her being female. I think some of the reason why she was allowed the freedom of her thought was that she wasn't a man. Because it's easier to discount. Yes. (laughs) Yeah. She she would eventually marry someone, but she was never going to be the the town councilman or whatever. You know, she wasn't going to have to necessarily decide how those beliefs were going to come to pass. But I think... That's part plays into it too for Atticus that he's letting her know that she's going to the way that the world is going. Women are going to have more of a voice, and she's going to have to decide what that voice is for herself. Um, so that was an interesting thing. And then the other thing is, I I really sincerely hope that anyone who reads the book doesn't just walk away saying, "Oh, well, then you know, there's another hero that died." Mm-hmm. You know that Atticus isn't worth even being considered the hero that he was in Mockingbird. I hope that isn't true because even in his flaws with all of that showing, I can still see where he was able to raise his children independent of that is heroic. That he didn't indoctrinate them with his own feelings, that Scout Mm -hmm. was able to grow up believing something completely different. And I think to a certain extent, Atticus is still struggling with with his feelings. I think he's not really even sure if he believes what he used to believe anymore. And I think that that's where there's hope for our generations to come and even my generation to continually to self-reflect. Do you think that you maybe read that into him a little bit because you were so attached to the image of him from To Kill a Mockingbird? Not really, because I can see in Mockingbird, I mean, even when I, before I read Watchmen, I had had some conversations with people about Mockingbird and about, you know, how he is portrayed as this you know, civil rights person and and all that. And I I thought, no, I don't think so. I think if anything, he was a lover of the law. Mm -hmm. And what he saw intensely was someone who was being accused of something he didn't do. And that that transcended their race. And Watchmen definitely shows that. It it definitely showed me that I was correct in that view of him. Because it turns out that he isn't actually as... It wasn't about race. It wasn't about defending the rights of a black man. It was defending the rights of a man. An innocent man. An innocent man. And the fact that he was black made it all that more hard. And that I think that when he was convicted, although Atticus knew it would happen, 
he was still disappointed in his fellow man for not being able to see the law, for being you know, colorblind or equitable. Blinded by color. <laughs> yeah, that it was blinded by color, that it wasn't mm-hmm. what yeah. he thought it was. Yeah. Um, and, and it shows in when the judge comes to tell him how Tom had been killed and that supposedly he was trying to run away. And the judge and Atticus was starting to do, you know, go into his lawyer mode. And finally the judge had to look at him like, are you crazy? Don't you realize he was, he was shot? He was killed? Don't you realize I'm telling you a bunch of crap here? Don't you realize that this is the story that's going to go out? But the truth is that he was just as much lynched as if they had gone to his house. And Atticus, again, has to come to terms with, oh, yeah, oh, yeah, that's, that's what I live in. So I, I don't think I ever really thought that Atticus was so much a civil rights person as he was a people's rights person, that he just automatically assumed that the law was what made everybody equal. And he constantly had to be reminded that that's not how it was applied. But yet he didn't really do anything to make it apply equally. He did what he could in defending Tom, even though it made him a pariah in the town. See, that makes me wonder if like, if that was the only time that he ever defended a black man like that. Like if he, like if that was his one like attempt and the fact that he lost anyway made him just sort of give up. It might have. I think the fact that um, that the judge came to him to start with spoke to the fact that the judge knew that he was not biased in that regard. And I think it, it speaks to the type of racism that Atticus has, which goes back to what I was talking about, that makes it so much more difficult to fight in our society. Atticus believed that that people of color have rights. He just doesn't believe that they can be as successful as white people. They have the same right. They should be treated equally under the law. They just shouldn't be entrusted as much with the other stuff. You yeah. know what I'm saying? Yeah. So it's, it's that paradox. And that's why I'm saying I think Atticus himself is still struggling with whether or not he's racist. I mean, he is. <laughs> I think he would think he's not, though. Well, yeah, I, just because you don't think you're racist. Exactly. Mean you're not. Exactly. But I think he still struggles with it. Maybe. But yeah, I, I I think that there's a lot of layers. I think that's sort of the beauty and magic of Harper Lee, really, is that she, it's deceptively simple, mm-hmm. her writing and her storytelling. Mm-hmm. It seems pretty straightforward, and you can just read it, mm-hmm. but then you can also reread it and be like, oh, holy crap, I didn't even catch that. Yeah. Or you can read it and then sit and talk about it with somebody and be like, oh, but what if this? Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. <laughs> and that's not always the case with with simple books. Sometimes yes. a, a simple story is just a simple story, uh-huh. but she is actually doing a lot more than it looks like mm-hmm. she's doing. And I think that the beauty of it is that she just tells the conversation. She doesn't lead you to what that conversation means. Mm. She just tells the story. Yeah. And then you're left to interpret it based upon your your life experiences, your age, your frame of mind when you pick it up. So many times authors are so concerned or or so fixated on getting the their point of view out that they almost ruin the story for you. It's almost like when you go to a, a therapist and the therapist decides based upon your the history of what you wrote down on the paper, exactly what your problem is, and just tells you what yeah. your issue is versus listening to you and letting you work it out. Well, not every story is meant to do that, though. Mm-hmm. I feel like True. ones like this that are tackling issues, mm-hmm. it's, it's noble to write something that is meant to just mm-hmm. make people think. Mm-hmm. But sometimes a story is just a story. 
So uh-huh. sometimes it's fine that the author has a point of view and they're just trying to tell you about that point of view. Mm-hmm. And sometimes just being told about a point of view that may not be yours is enough to mm-hmm. inspire deep thinking mm-hmm. and inspire some introspection. So I don't think it's necessarily bad, but I do understand what you're saying about how sometimes some books feel like they're leading you by the hand a little too much. Mm-hmm. Or they can be preachy. When it comes to topics like this, oh, it's is real what I easy meant. to get preachy. You know what I mean? Real when it easy. comes to topics like race or sexism or societal issues, mm-hmm. oftentimes you know very clearly within a few pages what the viewpoint of the author is. Mm-hmm. They're telling and, that story from a specific stance and for a specific reason. Yeah. And I think Harper Lee's viewpoint is pretty clear. I feel like she is Scout. And feels the way Scout feels. But she also has a high degree of empathy for the people who are not Scout. Well, what what I feel like is she's Scout, but she's Scout for us to be Scout. Hmm. She is Scout so that we can go through that pain and that growth and that anger and that frustration and come out at the other end with her. And yet, if we came out feeling something completely different, that would be okay. Hmm. I think that she does that incredibly well. She doesn't lead us so much as she just says, this is my story. Let's go find out how it ends. And if your end is the same as mine, in fact, I'm not even going to tell you exactly what mine is. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Because at Both the end of, of the book, pretty at the end of the book, we're no more sure about what happens to her than we were at the end of Mockingbird. Yeah. And that's okay. Somehow it's, it's still satisfying. Yeah. It, it might even be more satisfying because it's, it's nice to sit and like, if you're feeling hopeful, yeah. like think about, you know, what she, she went on done. to have a wonderful life there and you know. it was all fantastic. Exactly. Or if you're feeling more realistic, then you're like, well, that was, she probably had a really difficult life, but I believe that mm-hmm. she was fighting for what she believed mm-hmm. in. So, and, yeah. And that's an empowering kind of a writer. And I think that that's amazing. You do have to read her books with attention to that. It's a snapshot in her life. It's, it's a what, time period. It's what we like to call literary fiction. There you go. And then you, you apply it as it fits. And I think that's where her true gift comes from. And, and there are very few authors that I have read that I have that feeling about. So she yeah. still continues to be, I think, my favorite author. And I'm really, really glad that this book did not change how yeah, I felt because that's Mockingbird. always the danger is, you know, your favorite comes out with a new one and you're like, oh Ooh. crap, am I still going to like you? <laughs> Are you, yeah. was that a fluke? <laughs> uh-huh. Are you really a especially, writer? Especially baby? because she was so emphatic that Mockingbird was going to be the only thing that she ever published. So mm-hmm. it was, I think everyone was really like, oh God, is this going to ruin, is this going to ruin Harper mm-hmm. Lee for everybody? Exactly, exactly. So. But... No, it didn't. It absolutely didn't. So I wanted to do a new sort of thing at the end where we recommend whether or not people should buy the book, borrow the book, or bypass the book. Mm, Good choices. So this is an idea I actually got from bookriot.com. They have a column that runs um, where they make recommendations in this way. So if we recommend that you buy it, it's because we loved it. We think that you need to have it on your shelf. Mm -hmm. If we recommend you borrow it, it's because we liked it. It's probably fun to read, but you don't necessarily need to take up space in your home with it. And then bypass is pretty obvious. We mm-hmm. think you should. It's just don't we worry about it. We regret the time that we spent reading it. Yes. So buy, borrow, bypass. What do you say? I would definitely say buy it. Yeah. I would definitely say buy it. I would say 
buy it if you felt very strongly about Mockingbird. If you're just curious, then I think borrowing it would be fine Probably. too. But either way, I think you should read it. Definitely. Definitely. But it is one of those ones that you, you have to be of a reflective type of mindset. You're right. Otherwise, mm-hmm. it, it'll be, yeah, whatever. Yeah, you know? exactly. So, yeah, I could see that. All right. Well, thanks for listening to Clubbing with Mom. Yeah. You can find us online at www.clubbingwithmom.wordpress.com or on Instagram. We are Clubbing with Mom there. Episodes are available on SoundCloud, Stitcher, and iTunes. If you're listening on iTunes, please take a couple of minutes to leave us a review. Let us know how we're doing. And next month, we will be discussing Station Eleven. I know that I said on Instagram that this episode was going to be Station Eleven, but life got a little in the way. Yeah, sorry. So we went ahead and talked about this one because we had both already read it. Uh, So next month will be uh, Station Eleven. And to avoid any spoilers, we highly recommend reading it so that you can join us for our conversation. Thank you for listening, and we will catch you next month. Sounds good. (laughs) Bye.